All right. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Craig. All right. If you've forgotten, if you've forgotten my name, all right. I am super glad to be back. Uh, I've been out of pocket for about four Sundays and got some rest and I'm fired up and ready to go. And uh, also, I wanted to say a big thank you to the, uh, the men that brought the Word of God to you. Can we give a big welcome and thank you or thank you to Johnny and John and Josh and Cameron. Boy, they just did a great job of uh, opening up God's Word to you. We're really blessed to have godly men like that on our team, aren't we? And we have a deep bench, and so we're really super thankful for them. And today is really a uh, very uh, special day uh, for a lot of kiddos. Uh, today is Cross the Creek Sunday. And what that means is if you are in fifth grade and you now are about to go into sixth grade, then you literally move out of our children's ministry and into our middle school ministry. And so they start over here on today and then they literally cross the creek. It's a rite of passage or all these banners that they walk under to go into a new season of their life. And so today's a big exciting day for those that are crossing the creek uh, for the first time into our student ministry. Also, uh, it's big for some little kiddos that are just going into first grade because they get to come to church service here with their family. And so they've got, some of them got a little sticker on that says big kid in worship and they got a new Bible and they're so fired up. Do we have any of those kiddos in here? Raise up your hand really high. Oh, I see some kiddos right over here. Can we give them a big welcome? All right, we are super glad that you are here. You know, uh, our desire is to lead every generation to know and to follow Jesus. That's our goal, that's our mission, to lead every generation, young, old, we want everyone to know and to follow Jesus. And part of that is that we want this to be a safe place for every generation to know and to follow Jesus. And of course, as I say that, we realize that this world is not a very safe place. Uh, you uh, have watched the news like I have and seen the atrocities that we've seen uh, in El Paso and in Dayton, Ohio, and our hearts are broken for those families that today are grieving and today are hurting. And I would like to just stop and pray uh, for them. Can, can we do that? So would you just bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father, we just uh, lift up the families that are hurting this morning. Uh, they're hurting in El Paso and Dayton. Lord, we pray that you would comfort them and sustain them. And Lord, we pray that somehow through this dark, dark time that they would, they would be comforted by the gospel, that they would sense your love and feel your compassion by those that know you. And Lord, we pray that somehow through this that uh, Jesus would be exalted and that as we as followers of Jesus would be able to demonstrate our love and compassion to them. Lord, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You know, when you think about uh, these recent shootings, there's a four-letter word that seems to fuel this kind of darkness, this kind of evil. That four-letter word is hate, hate for people, Sometimes it's an ideology of hate that fuels this. Sometimes it's passed even down from generation to generation. We see this in other parts of the world. But there is only one other four-letter word that can change things, that can bring healing 
that can bring hope to our country, and that four-letter word is love. Love. In fact, Martin Luther King Jr. said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And so that's why we're in this series called Love Local, because we want to just remind ourselves what it looks like for us to love. And, and love always starts where you are. Love starts with your family, and it starts in your neighborhood, and it starts in your school, and it starts right here in our community. And so we want to just kind of remind ourselves what it looks like for the church to love and to love local. So that's why we're doing this series. Now, last week, we talked about our love for God. So today, I wanna talk about loving your neighbor. Loving your neighbor. In fact, that's a common phrase. People hear the phrase, love your neighbor. Sometimes they say, love your neighbor as yourself. And they may not even realize that that's from the Bible. That's actually a scripture from the Bible. In fact, the phrase, love your neighbor, appears 11 times in the Bible. And in fact, James, in the book of James, calls it the royal law the lofty law, the great law, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. But what does it look like to love your neighbor? What does it mean to love your neighbor? What difference would it make for us to love our neighbor? Well, that's what I wanna talk about today. So I want you to get your Bible out and I want you to open it up to the book of Matthew chapter 22. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one uh, provided for you at your seat and we will put the page number of that Bible up on the screen so you can follow along with us. Matthew 22 is where we're gonna to be today, beginning at verse 34, all right? Matthew 22, beginning at verse 34. This is the word of God. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together and one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Now, this passage here uh, is late in Jesus' ministry. I mean, Jesus is very close to the cross. He is, he is getting closer by the day to the day that he will die. And the closer he gets to the cross, the more fierce and heated the confrontation is between him and the religious leaders. What was sparring early on is now full-on, gloves-off combat between him and these religious leaders. And they are trying to trip Jesus up. When it says there that they were testing him, that doesn't mean they were asking him a question to see if he get the answer right. What, what it really means is that they were trying to trap him. They were trying to catch him saying something that they could use against him. Now that would never happen in politics today, right? That would never happen today, but it happened back then, okay? And they were, but, but the stakes were really high. Right, because if they could trap him, if they could catch him saying something wrong, then they can maybe use that against him even to have him killed. So, so different groups would come at him. The Sadducees, that is the royal, uh, the royal line, the, the ruling class people, they would come and ask him a question and then he would answer it right and so they wouldn't have anything. Then the Herodians would come and they would try to ask him something and he would put them down. And so now the Pharisees are coming. Now the Pharisees were the, the religious experts. They were experts in the law of Moses. 
And so they're going to come and they're going to try to test Jesus or try to trap Jesus with a question. However, this man who comes to ask Jesus this question, this expert in the law, it says, it seems like a legit question. It doesn't have like a trick to it like the other ones did. It wasn't like they were trying to get him in a bind. It almost seems sincere. He said, teacher, tell us, what is the greatest command? Now, that's important because the Jews acknowledged or recognized 613 commands. Can you imagine trying to keep up with all that? 613 commands. 365 of them were all negative commands. That is a thou shalt not for every day of the year, okay? 365 negative commands. And so they're saying, Jesus, out of all these commands, what would you say is the number one command that we must follow? And Jesus sensing, I think, this man's sincerity, he gives him a very sincere answer. And he quotes from Deuteronomy 6. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. What Jesus is doing is he's quoting a passage that's called the Shema. The Jews called that the Shema, the Lord our God is one. This was probably the verse that every Jewish child memorized first. It was the first verse. It was kind of the John 3, 16 of the Old Testament. Every child knew this one. The Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Uh, they knew that Shema. They quoted over and over and over. And Jesus said, this is the greatest command. But then Jesus goes on from there. And he says, and let, by the way, let me give you what you didn't ask for. <laughs> let me give you a second one. The second one is like it. That is, the second one is just as important as the first. The second one is just as vital as the first. And he quotes from Leviticus 19. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, you ever wonder why Jesus gave this second command? I mean, they just asked him for the first one, right? What is the greatest? That's it. That's what he, they asked him for. And Jesus says, okay, I'm going to give you the greatest, and I'm going to give you the one you didn't ask for. I'm going to give you something that you didn't ask for. I'm going to give you the second one that's just as important as the first one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why did Jesus go to that extra step to drive in this second command? There's a reason. And I think that reason still applies to us today. Here's the reason why. Because the Pharisees, he knows his audience, right? They were known to be people that loved God, right? They were the professionals, they were the PhDs and the pastors and the leaders and the scholars, right? And they were professionals at rule-keeping, law-keeping, ritual-performing. They were professionals at religion. So there's no question about their love for God, but they were not known for loving people. In fact, they mistreated people quite honestly. If you were not a Jew, you were a Gentile, they despised every Gentile said they were dogs, you know, kindling for the fires of hell. That's how they saw people that were not Jews. And even within the Jewish community, they would mistreat those who were poor or those who were crippled or blind or those that just didn't do what they wanted them to do. If you didn't fall in line, they would chastise them and abuse them and mistreat them and label them and be hateful to them and push them away and look with disdain on them. And so what Jesus was doing is he's saying, yeah, you know the right answer, right? You know it's love the Lord your God. But what you need to know is that you also must in the same way love your neighbor as yourself. 
You got the first one, but you're not living the second one. See, somehow in their mind, I don't fully understand it, but somehow in their mind, they thought, I can truly love God and still not like or even hate or despise or mistreat another person. Somehow it was okay in their mind to love God and push this person away, love God and talk bad about this kind of person, love God, but malign or mistreat or, or condemn certain groups of people. Somehow they had that in their mind and Jesus said, no, 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 that doesn't work. You have to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. See, that's what he's driving home. Now that was radical for them, radical. And you know what? It is still radical today. And here's why. Because there are little Pharisees in all of us. And somehow we feel like we can come to church and we can say, man, I love God and I love my Bible and I worship and I I love God, but I can talk about a certain group of people, a certain race of people, a certain kind of person, and I can despise them. And I can say, they're the problem and we can't stand it. And I somehow that's okay in our mind. There's no discrepancy there, but Jesus is saying, no, 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 you cannot do that. You, if you love God, you must equally, the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, in a world, in a culture that is so divided, black and white, Republican, Democrat, gay, straight, whatever the thing is that we're divided over, We need followers of Jesus that love God and truly love people. In fact, if you wanna just summarize the main idea of this passage, if you want to write it on something, here it is. Love, your love for God and your love for people cannot be separated. They go together. You can't, they're like welded together. You cannot love God and and not love people. These two are forever because of Jesus, welded together to love God and love people. So what is, how do we do that? That's, that's difficult to do. So what I want to do is I want to, I, I want to just, um, I want to answer three questions about that today, all right, in our brief little time here together. Here's the first question. Where does that kind of love come from? That's the first question. How, how do I do that? Where does that kind of love come from? Second question is, uh, what would it look like to love my neighbor? And I want to get very specific because Jesus gets very specific. And then the third question is, what difference, what difference does it make anyway? Why does this kind of love matter anyway? And I'm going to tell you a profound reason why Jesus tells us to do this. Okay. So let's tackle the first question. Where does this come from? Listen, loving your neighbor, let's just talk honest, right? Loving your neighbor is not easy. Would you agree with that? It's not easy to love your neighbor. I really believe, and I, I think I could, I'm not gonna take time to do it right now, but if you come up to me afterwards, or we could have that conversation. I, I really believe that the word neighbor that is used here in the 11 times that appears in the scriptures is most often describing someone who is not among your faith family. It's not somebody that's like you. Somebody's completely different than you. That's the neighbor. And so it's very hard to love somebody that is different than you. Would you agree with that? That's hard to do. In fact, there was a lady uh, who posted this sign in Ark City, Kansas. And here's a picture of the sign that she put in her yard. It says, love your neighbor who doesn't 
look like you, love like you, pray like you, think like you, speak like you, vote like you, no exceptions, all right? Now, I agree with that. I think that's theologically correct, but that's hard to do. It's hard to do that. Picture for yourself, picture in your mind, you're driving and you come up to a stoplight and then all of a sudden uh, a car pulls up next to you and it's a Prius, all right? And it's got some bumper stickers on it. And it's got a, it's got a coexist bumper sticker on there. And then it's got a, um, it's got a little fish with the legs on it, you know, <laughs> on there. And it's got a pro-choice on there and uh, love equality, you know, on there and, and some other politicians on there. And, uh, and you got all this on there. Now, listen, that is your neighbor. That's your neighbor that we are to love and care for, right? Now, while you're sitting there and you're looking at that Prius and you're probably thinking in your mind, oh, great, right? Then here comes another uh, pickup truck pulling up next to you, all right? Big old dually wide hips on, on it and it's got uh, a gun rack on the back and it's uh it's got some bumper stickers too it's got the texas secede bumper sticker on there and it's got the nra bumper sticker on there and uh it's got pro-life bumper sticker on there and, and it's got the old reagan bush 84 bumper sticker still on there that's been on there since 1984 all right and and, and guess what that's your neighbor too you see, all those, even folks that disagree with the folks that have different, all that kind of stuff, we are to love our neighbor. Some of you, you may, if you're really honest, if we're really having a conversation here, if you're really honest, you, you know, you would agree that, you know, sometimes it's hard for me to love somebody that comes from a, a different racial background than I do, or it's hard for me to love somebody that um, comes from a different political uh, persuasion or someone who loves somebody with a different sexual orientation. And we, we, we struggle to, to love, but listen, this is our neighbor that's around us. And we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And you may be thinking, well, Craig, you know, I, I can't possibly do that. I mean, I can't love my neighbor. Why? Well, because I, I can't approve. I can't agree with, I can't af affirm. I can't condone what that person stands for. I mean, I don't agree with that. I don't stand for that. I've got, I'm a person of principle here and I can't, I, I can't agree with them. So I can't love them. But listen, you can love somebody and not agree with them. You can do that. Parents do this all the time, right? Parents. You love your child, you, love, you gotta love them, man, you're your kid, right? But you may not agree with them, you may wanna kill them, but, but you, you don't agree with what they're doing, but you love them because they're your child. And so somehow you've been able to love them and yet not agree with them at the same time. Jesus did the same thing. Jesus hung around with people that were very much on the fringe, moral fringe, religious fringe, and yet he loved them and he was not condoning their behavior. But what Jesus was able to do, and I want you to understand this, is he was able to see them as a person and not their bumper sticker, not their label. 
And if we are going to love our neighbor, we realize that it's very hard for us to do that, but somehow we have to have the eyes of Jesus say, okay, yeah, I know they're, they're giving me all these messages of what they're standing for, but behind all of that, there is a person created in the image of God. There's a person that's a son or a daughter of somebody. There's a person that matters to God that Jesus died for. And I can love them. I can show love to them. And the only way that that can happen, honestly, is that that has to come from God. That's why I believe Jesus gave the first commandment first. The first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. Lord, help me. I want to love you with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind, all that I am. And then, Lord, now fill me with your love for this person. You may be working in the office with somebody and, and they just rub you the wrong way because of their uh, political background or their behavior or whatever the case may be. But Christ said, you can't just love me and then disdain them. No, 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 you can't do that. You have to love God and love your neighbor. Jesus welded those two together. There are no exceptions, just like the yard sign said. So where does it come from? It comes from the outpouring of God's love in our hearts. That's why we desperately need the Lord to change us. Because naturally we're gonna hate and vilify and separate, but only in Christ can we love as he loves. Second question is, well, what would it look like if we were to actually love like that? I mean, if we were actually to love our neighbor as ourselves, uh, what exactly would that look like? And I believe Jesus really gives us a hint here. And the hint is that he quotes from Leviticus chapter 19. Remember I said, love your neighbor as yourself is actually a quote from Leviticus 19. Leviticus is a book in the Old Testament. And so the Pharisees that he's talking to would know that. They would know the quote. They would not only know the quote, they would know the chapter. They know what's in the chapter. You and I don't know what's in the chapter until we actually look it up. But if you looked it up, you would see that that whole chapter is a description of how to love your neighbor. In fact, I want to just read some of it. If you want to flip over there, you can. I'm going to move pretty quickly, though. In Leviticus 19, verse 9, I'm going to pick up at verse 9. Just listen to the description of what it looks like to love your neighbor. In verse 9, he says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap to the very edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not strip your vineyard bare or gather its fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor and the resident alien, I am the Lord your God. Do not steal, do not act deceptively or lie to one another, do not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God, I am the Lord. Do not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages due a hired worker must not remain with you until morning. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. But you are to fear your God, I am the Lord. Do not act unjustly when deciding a case. Do not be partial to the poor or give preference to the rich. Judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go out spreading slander among your people. Do not jeopardize your neighbor's life, I am the Lord. Do not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly and you will not incur guilt because of him. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, do you pick up what that loving your neighbor actually looks like? He's giving a beautiful description. Really, really it could be uh, summarized in two words, justice and compassion. 
all right? To do justly and to love mercy, to be act justly and demonstrate compassion. So think about justice. When you stand up for those who cannot defend themselves, when you stand up for the poor and for the marginalized and for the unborn, you are truly loving your neighbor as yourself. When you um, stand up against corruption and hatred and abuse, when you seek just laws and just judges and just verdicts and just treatment uh, for all people, then you are truly loving your neighbor as yourself. Justice and championing what's right is loving your neighbor. Equally so is compassion. When you show compassion, it's interesting that in this passage, he talks about the blind, he talks about the deaf, he talks about the resident alien, the immigrant that's among you. And he says, these people need special care. And he said, so when you care for them, when you don't abuse them or mistreat them, then you are truly loving your neighbor. It's, show, it's showing compassion for those who desperately need it. I saw this firsthand when we were in Colorado. Liz and I had spent um, a couple of days in Durango, Colorado, just about three or four days. And um, we found this really cool coffee shop. It was very quaint, very hip, very cool coffee shop. And of course, we felt cool and hip being in the coffee shop, although we were not, okay? <laughs> and uh, we got our little drink and we made our way to a little table for two. And we were sitting right by the plate glass of the front of the coffee shop. So we're sitting there and we're drinking our coffee and talking and just enjoying the, each other, enjoying the mountains. And I noticed that just on the other side of the glass was a man in a wheelchair. Now this man, I think was probably a veteran because he had a black vest on that had looked like some veteran patches on it. He had a, a long uh, braided gray ponytail that went probably down the middle of his back. Uh, he had some kind of do-rag or bandana over his head. And I could tell, obviously, he couldn't use his legs. He was in a wheelchair. But then I began to, as I watched him, uh, I noticed that he couldn't really even move his hands. He had these braces on his hands. He could marginally move his fingers. But that was about it. And he was just sitting there. And here were, I was watching. I mean, this is literally, I, if the glass wasn't there, I could have reached out and touched him. And I'm watching all these people flowing by him. And no one looks at him. He is completely invisible to everyone that passes him by. And then I saw this young man come up to him, and this young man was probably maybe high school age, maybe early college, I couldn't really tell. And he stopped and he talked to this man. And so they're talking there for a while, and I'm drinking coffee and talking to Liz, but I'm kind of watching this exchange go by. And then I see the man pull out what looked like kind of a larger wallet, and he kind of fumbles around with it, working to get something out of it. And he gives something to the young boy, and then the young man leaves. A few minutes later, he comes back, and he's got this package. So I assume the guy asked him to run an errand for him. And so they kind of exchange, and they're talking. And then it happened. This, um, this young boy bent over this man and wrapped his arms around him hugged him. 
And I thought in that moment, that's compassion. That's compassion. That's what it's like to love your neighbor, to treat him with respect as a person that matters to God. It could be your dad or your granddad or your son. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, I get it. Loving your neighbor is hard. What happens naturally, we want to divide. We want to vilify. But he said, you can't say I love God and not love people. And, no, and there are no exceptions to that. Even though they don't look like you disagree, but it doesn't matter. He said, listen, you got to love God and love people. And that only comes from God. And the way you see it is through acts of justice and compassion when you do it. Why do we champion ministries in our neighborhood? Why do we give to those? Why do we champion working with the homeless? And why do we champion working with abused women? And why do we give clothes to those who need it? Why do we take up school supplies for kids in need? Why do we do that? Because when we do it, we're loving our neighbor as Jesus called us to love them. But the last question may be the most important. And that is, why does a love like this even matter? Why does it even matter? And the reason why it matters is only when, listen to me, only when you truly love God and love your neighbor is a transforming power of the gospel most clearly seen. That's when there, it makes space for the gospel to be heard. Let me try to illustrate this uh, with, the, with the picture of a scale, Okay. If you love God, but you do not love your neighbor, you don't love people, then over the course of time, that begins to devolve into apathy and eventually abuse. Apathy in the sense of, well, we don't, I love God, but I don't really care about these people, so I'm apathetic to them. Or eventually, let's go ahead and keep that up there. Uh, or, yeah, if you go back, can you go back? There we go, there we go. Apathy, I don't really care about them. Or even worse, abuse. I love God, and in the, in, in the name of God, I abuse people, which we have seen that happen, and that's what ISIS does, right? However, on the other hand, it's true. If you love others, but you don't have any love for God, then eventually that's revealed in what we call relativism. And there's no God, there's no right or wrong, anything goes. And eventually it leads to persecution because if I love, I say I love people, but I don't love God, then I hate those who do claim to love God. And we've seen that happen. And by the way, we have both of these forces working right now in our country. People who claim to love God, but show no love for people. And that's, that's the label that people put on the church. Oh, you say you love God, but you don't have any compassion for people. You're not doing anything to really help anybody. That's the label that gets put on the church all the time. And then you have kind of those secularists that says, well, yeah, we love people, but we don't love God. And that eventually devolves into persecution, religious persecution. Both are dangerous. That's why Jesus said you need both. You need to have love for God a balance and a love for people. And when you have both of those in balance, what happens is you see transformation. It changes people's lives. And here's why. Because the cross is where you most clearly see love for God and love for people, right? In the gospel, you see it most clearly, Jesus loving his father, willing to give his life, and Jesus equally loving those who are far from him, who hate him, offering sacrifice for our sins. 
And so Jesus at the cross clearly demonstrates love for God and love for people. And that is why it is only when we do that that there's an opportunity. It clears the ground. It clears a space for us to share the gospel that can change people's hearts and change people's lives. Because only when the gospel comes to us, then our heart is changed and we can truly love God and love others, see, the way Jesus did. Listen, you cannot separate your love for God and love for people. You can't do it. can't do it. You say, well, I was, I was raised that way. It doesn't matter. A man, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, right? Christ renews us. He changes us. He takes, takes down the wall of hatred and hostility, and he causes those who are very diverse to love one another. And that's the role of the church. Listen, what our country needs is not more legislation. What our country needs is a church that will love God and love people and be such a light, such an attractive light that people be drawn to the gospel of why we're different.